0: Welcome, football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Let's Talk XFL, the only podcast solely focused on the XFL. From a sunny southwest
1: Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is Episode 4, Home Sweet Home. Welcome back to the show. Last week's executive appointments have the league in a good place. Approximately 14 months to work on the finer details before we kick off in 2023. Now we know things are happening. More details will be announced in the coming weeks and months. Till then, there is plenty of buzz, plenty of anticipation and speculation among the fan base. We common folk are focused on the football portion of the league. Fans are wondering what cities will return. Will there be new markets? Will the XFL keep team nicknames? Etc. 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 At this moment, we do not have those answers. I know this is difficult for those who are now more excited than ever and chomping at the bit for XFL content. I'll do my best to help fill the void. In a little while, Brian Roth will once again join me to discuss each of the 2020 stadiums. We will address whether the XFL used appropriate venues and if not, what are some potential replacements. But first, After last week's big announcements, unfortunately, there has not been news pertaining to the XFL this week. But if I reach a bit, there is something worth discussing. As I have previously promised to you, I will not discuss other Football League news. I did, however, mention if the news in some way impacts the XFL, I would disclose it. With that being said, the other league kicking off in the spring of 2022 announced executive hirings. And among those hired, was a former XFL employee. On November 17th, former Dallas Renegades director of player personnel, Daryl Moose Johnson, was hired as an executive vice president of football operations of the USFL. The announcement removes Johnson from any consideration of returning to the Renegades or the league. Here's my concern. What does Johnson's move to a league competing against the XFL essentially mean? For me, Johnson is an important hire. He has experience from his time in the Alliance of American Football in 2019 and the XFL in 2020. I know this only seems like two short stints with failed experiments, but there's a bit more to it. Johnson has experience of building coaching staffs and rosters from scratch. This is valuable experience and is a lost opportunity for the XFL. In my opinion, the Renegades were a decent team for the league. I would think it is somewhat important for returning teams to have some familiar faces on the roster and sideline. Most notably, Bob Stoops. We were all surprised when legendary coach Stoops left retirement to join the XFL in the first place. But now that he has, will he be lured away by Johnson to join the USFL? After all, the two of them were closely in Dallas. I just can't help but feel the XFL dropped the ball on what could have been an important hire. I think it is time for us to move on to our stadium's discussion with Brian Roth. I have invited Brian and value his opinion. He has attended an array of sporting events throughout Europe and North America. Welcome back, Brian. I appreciate you making some time and joining me in discussing the venues used by the XFL in 2020 and looking forward to 2023.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me back on, Mike. I liked it the first time and definitely can't wait to do this again.
1: Well, can you take a moment and share with our listeners some of your sporting spectator experiences?
0: I personally like every different sort of sport out there known to man. So I really try to go out there and watch different sort of sports and get like sort of a taste of different sorts of experiences out there. So I've been around around the United States. I've been over to Canada. I've even been over to Europe to places to watch sporting events. And, you know, first and foremost for me, in order to sort of really get a good understanding of like what I like to see in a sporting event, atmosphere is key. You know, I got to really go there and really experience the fans for what they are. And if I feel like the fans are really into it, like that right there sort of gets me hooked into something. That's what sort of, in my opinion, creates some really great experiences when the fans are on their A game because the stadium can be nice. The amenities can be nice, but the fans are not there active really pumping everybody up then it seemed everything sort of then just falls by the wayside i need to have that atmosphere
1: so what were some of your best atmospheres
0: well recently i went to cincinnati for uh the usa versus mexico world cup qualifier at their uh soccer specific stadium and that was probably one of the best atmospheres i've experienced at a sporting event live so there's that a couple soccer games when I went over into Europe for this team in this second division in Italy, AC Perugia. That was really fun. Like the fans were really into it, like synchronized chanting and stuff like that. That was great. But to put soccer to a side for right now, I would say even for football, focusing more on that. Some college football games I've been to, right? So, like say a Penn State or even a big Syracuse game I went to, Syracuse Clemson a couple of years back. The fans were really into it. It was hyped. You really felt the tension, the pins and needles in the crowd. So that's what was great about that. And then even in the NFL, some places you get some good atmosphere for that as well. So, I mean, I've, I mean, as a Bills fan myself, I can really talk positively about going to Bills games and feeling the atmosphere there. So, I mean, those are definitely some of the ones that I definitely look towards the most when, when I say, okay, what was the best games I've been
1: to? <laughs> Can you share maybe some bad experiences?
0: Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's no shortage of bad experiences. (laughs) Well, when I went to a University of Buffalo football game in Buffalo, New York, at their on-campus stadium, obviously it's MAC football, so it's going to be a little bit different than, say, like the ACC or the SEC or anything like that. But the stadium itself was a dump, one of the worst stadiums I've ever been to in my life. And, you know, the fans were not necessarily that into it. I mean, University of Buffalo football, I mean, they got some decent programs these days, but they don't really have a great reputation for traditional fan support. So all in all, like lack of fan support and the engaging atmosphere and then also the state itself conspired against each other to sort of make it a bad experience. Then very recently, I went to a UMass football game on their on-campus stadium, and that stadium wasn't anything special. UMass football is terrible, so the fans there don't really care. The students left, I'm pretty sure at halftime because they were doing that bad. And I paid $30 for parking the day of to go to a UMass football game. At least there was beer, there.
1: Well, perfect. So, Brian, bear with me for a moment. To bring everyone up to speed on my wave of thinking, I'm going to throw some statistics out there for you and our listeners. I'm going to start with the United Football League. We're going to take a look at their attendance figures. So in 2009, the league averaged 9,678 fans per game. In 2010, it increased to 14,987 fans per game. In 2011, it was virtually the same at 14,753 per game. And in 2012, their last season, it dipped significantly to 3,921 fans per game. But let's take, also take a look at the Alliance of American Football. In 2019, their attendance figures, the top team was San Antonio, and they averaged 27,721 fans per game, followed by Orlando with 19,648 fans per game. San Diego at third with 19,154 fans per game. Birmingham with 14,307 fans per game. Memphis at fifth with 12,944 fans per game. Atlanta with 10,895 fans per game. Arizona with 9,932 fans per game. And lastly, Salt Lake City with 9,067 fans per game. So that gives the league an average of 15,785 fans per game. I also want to take a look at the 2001 edition of the XFL. And the San Francisco Demons averaged 35,005 fans per game. The New York, New Jersey Hitmen averaged 28,309 fans per game. Orlando Rage averaged 25,563 fans per game. Los Angeles Extreme, 22,679 fans per game. Las Vegas Outlaws with 22,619 fans per game. Memphis Mannix with 20,396 fans per game. Birmingham Thunderbolts with 17,002 fans per game. And lastly, the Chicago Enforcers with 15,710 fans per game, giving the league an average of 23,410 fans for each game. Brian, I know these numbers are not from the latest XFL season, I share these because I believe it gives the XFL and us a feel for what the landscape looks like for professional spring football since the turn of the century. This information could be factored in before discussing venues and signing agreements for such stadiums. So, Brian, do you have any thoughts?
0: So my first thought is, um, obviously, when it comes to the attendance figures, one thing I always think about is usually with the first game of every new uh, league out there, like, for example, the XFL this year, the XFL in 2001, and so on and so forth, there's usually a bump in attendance because people are kind of curious to see what the product is like or what the experience is like. And then usually after that, at least from my Recollection, the attendance usually tends to taper off a little bit. My wonder would be, you know, how much of that attendance is based off of the first game, and then how much is the dip from like the rest of the season? So That's be my first thought. Also, just looking at those numbers, if those averages keep up, which I see a lot of averages like mid twenties in the case of San Francisco, we're looking at thirty five thousand. I mean, when it comes to the XFL, at least. That's a fairly healthy number, in my opinion, if you can get that really consistently. You saw some pretty good numbers, too, in the Alliance for American Football with some of those teams or some of those areas that have uh, no prior football team there. Like, for example, San Antonio's numbers, as you mentioned, were like first in the league. Yeah, just shy of 28,000. Yeah, which is fantastic. And they're always usually mentioned here and there for for an NFL franchise, whether for relocation or what have you, Orlando's numbers are not too shabby. That's probably why, you know, they should be considered on the way. Even San Diego's numbers I would say are pretty good. So at least the lesson I can get from this, looking at those numbers is, you know, it's not the worst idea in the world to target markets that either prior had football and are really hungry for a football team or just, you know, markets that don't really have a professional football team in general. It seems like, in my opinion, that that more people from there will at least then be interested in coming to games because they need that appetite for football.
1: Okay, now let's take a look at the 2020 XFL teams and stadiums. Now, I understand that there, the season was cut short. You know, there was only five games. To be fair, so it wasn't the Alliance of American Football. But well, we'll get started with the Eastern Division first. We'll take a look at the D.C. Defenders. Their home stadium in 2020 was Audi Field, which was located in Washington, D.C., and it had a seating capacity of 20,000. They did average 16,179 fans. Then the New York Guardians, their home stadium in 2020, was MetLife Stadium, which was located in East Rutherford, New Jersey. It had a seating capacity of 82,500. And they averaged 14,875 fans per game. Then St. Louis Battlehawks, their home stadium, was the Dome at America's Center, located in downtown St. Louis, Missouri. They had a seating capacity of 66,965, and they averaged 28,410 fans per game. Then Tampa Bay Vipers, their home stadium was Raymond James Stadium, located in Tampa, Florida. They had a seating capacity of 65,618, and they averaged 15,183 fans per game. Making a move over to the Western Division, the Dallas Renegades' home stadium was Globe Life Park, which has since been renamed Choctaw Stadium, which is located in Arlington, Texas. It had a seating capacity of 48,114, although the XFL used a configuration with a seating capacity of 25,000. They averaged 17,159 fans per game. The Houston Roughnecks home stadium was TDECU Stadium, located at the University of Houston in Houston, Texas. They had a seating capacity of 40,000, and they averaged 18,230 fans per game. Then there was the Los Angeles Wildcats, Home stadium was Dignity Health Sports Park, located in Carson, California. It has a seating capacity of 27,000 and they average 13,124 fans per game. Lastly, the Seattle Dragons, home of CenturyLink Field, which has since been renamed Lumen Field, located in Seattle, Washington, has a seating capacity of 69,000 and they average 25,616 fans per game. Now, I have to say that I believe the XFL, for the most part, played in too big of venues. Brian, what are your thoughts?
0: For the most part, yes, but I think in some places it does work out. Like, for example, St. Louis, as I mentioned before, that's a market that is hungry for football. I think that even in that big stadium, when I was watching games, they brought a lot of people there. and. You know, it was pretty hype just from seeing the crowd and how people really got behind the battle hawks. So I will say that in that case, I would say that environment stadium was perfectly appropriate. Now, with the other ones, especially if we're talking about us uh, teams that play in like NFL markets or playing NFL stadiums, that's definitely the case. So, for example, the New York Guardians, MetLife Stadium was too big. And you can agree with that, Mike, correct?
1: Oh, yeah. 82,500 seats. And you're only pulling just under what was uh, somewhere around what 17,000 was it?
0: It was at least the numbers that you gave, it was around 15,000 or so. And 15,000 in, in an 82,000 seat stadium, that as we can recollect, kind of looks a little bit all scattered out. It looks like three people in the stadium the entire time. So, I mean, in my opinion, that was definitely big. Yeah, with Tampa Bay Vipers, I would agree with that aspect. I will say for, like, Dallas, because they sort of played at all the bridge to like, baseball stadium. It's not, like, the worst thing in the world. It's not like they're playing at uh, Jerry World or anything like that. But there are probably other stadiums around that Dallas-Fort Worth area that probably could work things out a little bit better. Houston, I did like the fact they played at the University of Houston that 40,000 and averaging about yeah, close to 18, 19,000 sort of makes it like half full. It's not bad. And then I would say especially for the Los Angeles Wildcats and for uh, the DC Defenders, I like the idea of playing at MLS stadiums. We could talk about this more later, but I really like the idea of playing at MLS stadiums, especially if they're in the city you're about say 20, 25,000 capacity. Which, looking at all these average numbers, I mean that's a really perfect size stadium that you can really get a lot of people in and really have a chance to impact the atmosphere of some of the game you're going to. So, at least in my in my, in my opinion, those stadiums were a good
1: decision on those teams' part. Well, I do have a fairly short list of potential venues for 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the top of my list is Red Bull Arena, located in Harrison, New Jersey, which has a seating capacity of 25,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you and I being at those Guardian games, it's just, it felt like a ghost town. Yes, the fans are passionate, mm-hmm. and that's awesome, but when you're just staring at all those empty seats, that's difficult. I can't imagine yeah. what that actually looked like on television, but I, I know being there, it's difficult. And it Mm kind of gives you that small potatoes, small time feeling that uh, this is not being successful. So definitely Red Bull Arena. And I know you and I have both been to several Red Bull games. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your thoughts, Red Bull Arena, yay, nay?
0: Personally, it's a yay because as we both know, we're both fairly biased towards Red Bull Arena. The stadium itself is nice. When you get people in that stadium, that's a big it these days. With the roof over top, like it traps the noise in, it can really make things difficult for the opposing team. So that kind of adds a certain element to it. And I think overall, I think it's a really great venue to have. A couple downsides to think about, especially within that New York-ish market, as we know the PATH trains, the transportation there is not fairly reliable. Well,
1: to be fair... It's an added method of transportation, which MetLife does not have out in East Rutherford. So, I mean, it's not dependent on it, but that would be a nice thing to add for those people, especially Mm -hmm. looking at New York City, people that do not have cars, if they could coordinate it properly. So that would be a a nice addition.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I, I will agree with that. It's an added, you know, transportation aspect to consider. With that said, still not terribly reliable as we've heard before True. not to mention um parking around the area is a little bit interesting as we know
1: well there's a lot of development happening yeah so that's what makes it difficult at the time being i know there are plans that one of those lots eventually is going to be a parking garage so that will end up changing some of that as well but there are some other open areas that are being used uh, yeah. but my, my favorite thing to add uh, about red bull arena is in the area there's plenty to do pre. And post game, as far yeah. as places to eat, whether it's just over the bridge over at Katas, or if you go down our favorite place, Takaria. Ta Korea, uh, yeah. Korean. You got five
0: guys. You get the five guys. Uh, yeah,
1: to join. So, I, mean, I mean, there's a bunch of things going on out right there. There's a Wendy's for those people that love fast food. There's a uh, yeah. what was it Quick Checks or whatever they call it, which is not quite Wawa for me, but hey, some people love it.
0: Yeah, to make a long story short, though, I mean, there is stuff to do around there. I would say in the in the case of looking at the numbers and how things stack up, I would say the positives outweigh the negatives. I think really the only other way that, you know, you can get a team in the New York area to play in the New York area, you either got to a, play at Red Bull Arena you got th- or if you have enough money, you got to throw up, say, Yankee Stadium or... You know, City Field,
1: you know, the baseball stadiums or the 60,000 seat stadiums that, you know, say 17,000 or so looks pretty empty. That's a good thing about Red Bull Arena, 20, 25,000 seats, 17,000, yeah. 18,000 people in attendance, depending how you look at it. And if it does grow or not, it doesn't look that empty. And yeah. even if you do tarp off a portion up top, it, it doesn't look terrible. And on television, it's going to look full. So in my opinion, that's why a soccer you know, stadium like Red Bull Arena is ideal. Yeah. But I don't want to beat Red Bull Arena too much. We just obviously have way more knowledge of Red Bull Arena.
0: Exactly. And, we, uh, are, we are very biased towards Red Bull Arena.
1: <laughs> so I'll move on. Uh, Bank of California Stadium, which is located in Los Angeles, California, it also has a seating capacity of 22,000. Now, the reason why I bring this up, I know Disney Health Park out in Carson is also a soccer stadium, but Bank of California stadium is closer to downtown. It's right in the heart of everything for LA. So Carson is a a ways out. So it makes, you know, makes traveling to the game a little bit more of a pain and a lot more coordination for those people. I have a feeling that if it's in the heart of the city or close to the heart of the city, it's a good draw. And I mean, it's 22,000. It's a new stadium it looks wonderful on television and, and stuff from, I mean, cause we're soccer fans as well. So it just looks like a perfect venue for that.
0: Yeah. I would say about that stadium as well. Bank of California stadium is that you're right. It, it's closer to downtown LA, which I think can maybe have a slight impact towards attendance. If the league does come back, I would hope that if they do decide, Hey, let's play downtown LA one, it's a newer stadium. Than the one out in Carson, with, with being closer to downtown, I think that'll also help. With that said, I think it might have a slight increase in attendance. I won't necessarily think that it would be, like, significant, but it'll be a slight increase, in my opinion. But either way, I, I would say just from location alone, I think it's much better have a team play there rather than out in Carson.
1: Another stadium is PNC Stadium located in Houston, Texas, has a seating capacity of 22,039 seats. I know that that's the home of the Houston Dynamo, and as well as, I believe, Texas Southern plays their home games there. It does house football. That would provide a smaller venue, also with a roof that would, you know, hold in the noise. It would look fuller. I know that the University of Houston necessarily isn't a huge stadium at 40,000 capacity but it could potentially make it more ideal. And it takes it off, you know, a college campus and it kind of gives it more of a professional feeling versus that college vibe again. What are your thoughts there, Brian?
0: I think Houston, in my opinion, is the one stadiums where I'd be like, okay, I'm totally okay with them staying at the University of Houston because 40,000 is definitely smaller than a lot of these other venues we're seeing that we've listed off. They pretty much filled it up close to halfway. So, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world to sort of stay there, especially say if the rent's going to be cheaper there. Houston, in my opinion, is one of those places where like, you know, I would be totally okay if they actually stayed there at the university of Houston stadium rather than moving uh, to PNC stadium. With that said, if they do find a way to move there. I think it would also be a good move for all the reasons you mentioned, Mike. So at least in my opinion, I think they can be perfectly okay staying at the University of Houston, but then again, if it works out that they move
1: to the stadium, yeah, I'll be fine. Now, to be fair, I do want to acknowledge that in 2020, the XFL did its preseason teams were in Houston, right? So I understand why the university probably was very fitting with the practice fields and everything right on campus. I know they did all the scrimmages there. I know that they also housed Team 9 there, which was all the free agents the league had signed, essentially. I understand that potentially leaving the University of Houston would alter that. So we'll put an asterisk there. I also have Tropicana Field, which is located in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's a big asterisk in my mind. It has a seating capacity of 42,735. I know that there has been college bowl games there and I have attended raised games. The parking is not bad. It's close to downtown. The only drawback I see to this is that it actually takes it further away from say Orlando. So if anyone's driving from Orlando, it makes it a longer drive. and can be a little bit difficult to get to, but this is why I also put an asterisk next to it. I also say move the Vipers to Orlando. Exploria Stadium, which is located right in Orlando, Florida, it has a seating capacity of 25,500 seats. That is the Orlando City MLS soccer team's home stadium. I have also been there prior to moving to Florida. I flew down with a couple buddies, and we attended uh, a Red Bulls game versus Orlando City. In that stadium, it's a little bit outside of downtown, but it's walking distance. There's, I don't know what you call that part of Orlando. It has like all those golden buildings and stuff, but it has a real. It's really nice to bars, restaurants. It's not a bad walk. It's actually just a little bit further down from where the arena is there, where the Magic yep. place. So to me, that's a very good location. And as you've mentioned previously, Orlando draws well for spring football. Now, obviously, not like NFL numbers, but they draw well. And I would still pick the MLS stadium over the stadium just for a little bit further down there. I know you attended that when the SU played Campy in a bowl World. game, correct? Yeah, yeah. Camper
0: World Stadium, yeah.
1: So, I, which is a little bit larger. I don't remember the seating capacity, but, it's, I mean, it's probably like a 50,000 seat or, or so. So, I i just don't – that's still too big. But I would think that Exploria Stadium would be a good fit. Your thoughts, Brian? I would say it's right now.
0: Tropicana Field to me is a non-starter. You would you cannot pay me enough to go to a game at Tropicana Field. <laughs> I would flat out refuse. There's no way I would go to Tropicana Field for a game. But there's a lot. There was a lot of people talking before the league shut down that Tampa Bay should in fact move to Orlando, and I agree with that because as we stated, the numbers speak for themselves. Orlando would support a spring football league team. And I think that would be a very nice thing to have in Orlando. And I think it can benefit land a lot more than say Tampa Bay, which already has the Buccaneers there. So as far as I'm concerned, move the team to Orlando. I'm fairly partial to camping world. It gives, I mean, the stadium itself is all right. It was fun for the SU West Virginia game. I went to for the camping world bowl a couple of years back and it's a little further out than, you know, the Orlando City Stadium you talked about and also, you know, just that downtown area, but it's accessible. I think it'll be a good spot for a um, spring league team, especially, you know, bit down that lower bowl. I think you can at least get people to sit down there. Yeah, another, another thought I had in my mind is you can always check to see uh, how far away University of Central Florida is from everything because that could be a stadium consideration as well. The University of Central Florida, they play at this wonderfully titled stadium called the Bounce House. Yeah, yes, by all means, it's called the Bounce House, which is quite an incredible name for a football stadium. And the capacity is about 44,206. In my opinion, if it's relatively accessible to a lot of things, 44,000-seat stadium is not the worst thing in the world. I mentioned that in Houston for the University of Houston Stadium where they fit 40,000. If you're drawing like 20,000, 22,000, a 40,000-seat stadium is going to look pretty all right, in my opinion. So that's another consideration
1: you can sort of throw in there as well. I know, like, Seattle is difficult. Seattle doesn't really have a ton of stadiums that are really smaller. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... Your thoughts? So Seattle,
0: that would be obviously difficult because, you know, they have
1: they'd have to play the
0: NFL stadium there. It's not going to look any better if they play at University of Washington Stadium. So as far as I'm concerned, I mean, that would be kind of tough. I hinted at this earlier with the Dallas Renegades. I think they can probably find some different options around the Dallas-Fort Worth area that's not playing at that baseball stadium.
1: Well, there's I mean, always there's Jerry World, where they practice facility, and that's a joke, Brian. <laughs> I'm just, I, I don't, I don't think Jerry would actually. Even though I think the Alliance of American Football were looking to have their championship game there, uh, obviously it never happened. But I think uh, Jerry Jones was going to allow that. Uh, the other thing would be Frisco, Texas, but to me that takes the team out oh, of out. well, yeah. it, right? It takes them out of the way. It might be still close to Dallas, but Arlington is right there between Dallas and Fort Worth, which is ideal to draw. Yeah. But if you take it out to Frisco, you're pretty much turning fans away from Fort Worth.
0: And that's, and I guess that's sort of like the uh, benefit of where that state is right now, as you mentioned, is that if it's in Arlington, it th- it is sort of a midway point to sort of help out that Dallas Fort Worth area. With that said, if you want to get if you want to get things a little bit, I don't say smaller, but Just something a little bit different. I mean, obviously, there's SMU and TCU out towards those areas. I probably would not try to go to the Cotton Bowl. I'd probably try to avoid that area.
1: Large, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's large. Or if they really want to try to get numbers up, as we've seen before, maybe think about moving one of those Texas teams to San Antonio. That should be a consideration that should be made because as we've seen for before in the Lions of American football, that San Antonio team drew a fair bit and was like I'm pretty sure the highest draw in that league, as we've discussed, correct?
1: Oh, San Antonio was was number one. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean I think it was like 28000 something like that they were drawing. It was pretty I good. I think
0: and I think in my opinion, that should be what the XFL should be considering because I mean we have, we have St. Louis in the league. Other than that, every other team is playing in a stadium or in a market that has an NFL team. So let's try to, I would say, maybe try to balance it out a little bit. Have some teams in those big markets where the NFL teams are, but then also find those markets that do well in spring football. The San Antonio's in the middle. You already have one in St. Louis. Orlando. Those three right there, that could definitely support something. Heck, San Diego. They're looking for a football team, probably. So, I mean, I think if you balance those things out, then I think you can really look at solid numbers for attendance,
1: perhaps. Well, let's be fair here for a moment. You know, the USFL, they're announcing executives, they're going to play in Birmingham. So, obviously, things are still developing there. Even though they're going to play all in a central location, they're going to announce teams. They're going to be attached to cities. So, obviously, the XFL needs to you know pump the brakes for a moment and see what cities they're planning on moving to. It's it's backed by Fox, so there's some deep pockets there. I, I do believe they have to be a little hesitant there. We can speculate all day, obviously, until things start to develop more. That's all we're going to do as fans. But I, I agree. I think Orlando is ideal. As far as moving the Dallas team, San Antonio seems ideal, uh, but I don't think it was terrible as far as attendance. So it's right in that, that average in the, in, in the mid teens of thousand like 14,000 or so. Uh, but hey, I'm open minded. I know that a lot of people also think a team should be in San Antonio. So, or thought I could have too is
0: maybe if Seattle's really struggling to find something, that Seattle team could be a San Antonio
1: team. Do you want because. three teams in Texas?
0: MLS makes it
1: work. Well, yes, but there's also several other teams in the league. When you're in eight team league and you got three teams in one state, I, that that could be awkward. But I, I get what it could you're be saying. Awkward,
0: but you know what? We all know that Texas, Texas, and Texans love their football. So, I mean,
1: 100%. having
0: having those uh, having three teams in that area, and they're all going to probably get their little backing from people in those areas. I think that can still work out pretty fine.
1: Could create deep rivalries. I get it. I get it well. Do you have any other recommendations
0: other than the ones that have already been made? Not really. I think uh, we sort of, everything is that we talked about sort of ad nauseum. But I think basically the best suggestions that we probably can give are you know if we want to try to find the smaller stadiums, I would say we want to target like especially the Guardians. If you want to throw Seattle on that list, be my guess, but they're kind of their hands are kind of tied. But I think the Guardians are probably the big one where you probably want to find a smaller stadium for.
1: I agree. Uh, Seattle's kind of handcuffed. I think there's not a lot of venues out there that really reduce the capacity enough where it makes it much of a difference. I think that mm-hmm. Seattle Stadium isn't an ideal location close to downtown with a lot of things going on around it that make it a really game day friendly experience. So I think that's the tough one, unless you just move the the team away from Seattle as a whole. But that, to me, that would be not a wise move because they're averaging over 20,000 people. It was the second highest attendance behind St. Louis. So I think you need to stay there because the average was growing. They did better in game two versus their home opener. So I think that's something that they should not move away from.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. As, as, as far as I'm concerned, though, the biggest the biggest eyesore that was very noticeable was the Guardians. And really, that was, at least in my opinion, it. I mean, the Wildcats, in my opinion, didn't draw too well, even for an MLS-sized stadium. But there's probably a lot of reasons behind that logistically as well. But That's um, all I
1: got to say. I think it's in Carson, and I think that's the biggest issue. I think yeah. L.A. would do well. I think if you look back to the numbers from the Los Angeles extreme... Back in 2001, I think it's fair to say that the attendance could do better. Now, I understand you're talking 20 years difference, but the Los Angeles Extreme averaged
0: 22,679. And they played a huge difference uh, versus 13,000. They probably played in the Coliseum as well. So, I mean, that was a little bit more accessible, I believe, than
1: Carson. Which 22,000 still looked like a ghost town. Oh, yeah, that's that's a problem. That's <laughs> why moving these into smaller stadiums, it won't look as bad. Yeah.
0: All right, other than that, that's probably it on my end.
1: All right, good stuff, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on at a short notice. Again, you're always a guy I can count on. I'll try not to make you a co-host if it's not <laughs> in the cards. Hey, never know. I might have to call on you again.
0: All right. And if you have to call me again, I'll be ready to answer the call.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, that's always good to know. Till next time, Brian. All
0: right. Till next time. Cheers.
1: In my opinion, Audi Field is essentially perfect. The league needs to replicate this as much as possible. From someone attending the game, it is a fantastic experience. It feels like a sellout. Now, seeing it from the standpoint as a viewer sitting at home and watching it on television, It appears to be a packed stadium. It looks as if the league is a success. In addition, the rent of these venues would be considerably less and makes financial sense for the league. And though I have not recommended new stadiums for Seattle and St. Louis, both teams saw its attendance increasing. So I would not recommend a change of venues. As for Dallas and Houston, I feel as if the configuration and size are reasonable. This concludes another episode. I would like to again thank Brian Roth for joining us. If you would like to follow Brian, you can do so on Twitter at BrianRoth95. And as always, I'm interested in receiving your feedback. So don't hesitate to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk XFL. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Talk
0: XFL on your platform of choice. Follow Let's Talk XFL on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Talk XFL. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to letstalkxfl at gmail.com.